Hey, it's Jordan. I am here with Rania Kalek. Uh, you are a wonderful, wonderful journalist, and uh, you are uh, definitely one of the uh, Russian puppeteers, as the establishment like to call us. Uh, those who <laughs> those those who dare ask for evidence and common sense. Um, so, I, I don't know if you've saw, seen this, but I just saw a Max Blumenthal video where he went into uh, the halls of Congress and. It wasn't like one of those like ambush Fox News styles, but like he very nicely and casually uh, was asking, you know, the lawmakers huffing and puffing about uh, Russian meddling. uh, Are you for Venezuelan meddling? And I don't know what you thought. I thought it was just like priceless, their their reaction. It was like seeing Casper the Friendly Ghost because he was basically getting to a point that uh, we have very selective double standards when it comes to uh, anything done to our country, even minuscule. But uh, as far as what we're doing in Venezuela, uh, yeah, we have to do that. You know, it's for human rights and all that jazz. What are your thoughts on the contradiction going on in coverage? Well, first of all, I with the Max's video, it was really good. But there was a couple takeaways that I had from it. One, um, it's kind of shocking when you see how uninformed members of Congress are. Like some of them didn't really know what he was talking about. And that's kind of disturbing because we're literally involved in a very dangerous destabilization campaign in a country that has a population of 30 million people. And there are members of Congress who are like, Venezuela, what? Um, But also, yeah, the hypocrisy is completely on display here. I mean, all we've heard for the last two, three years, like endlessly on a loop, is Russian meddling, Russian meddling, Russian meddling over Facebook campaign ads, right? Some of them didn't even talk about the campaign or like Twitter ads that nobody saw or Instagram ads of like Bernie Sanders half naked or something that like, apparently convinced people to vote for Donald Trump. The point is, is all we've heard is Russian election meddling. And regardless of like your take on whether Russia is responsible for Trump or not, I don't, I don't think he is, but let's say, even if that were true, I mean, it's just stunning that it, it just shows you not like the double standard of American arrogance. Like we can just go around the world picking and choosing leaders whenever we want, but no one's allowed to touch us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I mean, it's unbelievable. And then also from Max's video, I think what was also interesting was that a lot of these lawmakers haven't even been asked about Venezuela. Right. Um, so they were just kind of surprised he was even like, they were like, whoa, someone asked me about something no one else has. What? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that brings me back to, you know, we're destroying a country of 30 million people. Like the, what the U.S. is doing, what the Trump administration is doing with bipartisan support is going to incite a civil war if it works and it's going to collapse the country and people are going to suffer already more than they have and like these members of congress don't give a shit or like don't even really know what's going on mm-hmm. and i'd like to know what you think because like we've seen in other uh, regime change operations there's a narrative that's been formed that all of a sudden the people are rising up and just like you know it took 30 minutes but this guy uh, guido he, uh, bill maher what did he say he's you know stepping up but, you know, reporting shows that this has been in the works for, for quite a while. I mean, Guaido went on a little Latin America tour to other countries to kind of manipulate this. And uh, the U.S. And, and other countries coming together. It, it's been in the works to do this. So it doesn't seem to be this natural, organic uh, protest against the Maduro government. No, I mean, this has been in the works for more than a decade. Um, Guaido, uh, you know, Guaido is a, a part of, of a group of hand-selected people in Venezuela who have been trained um, by, you know, various uh, U.S. outfit 
funded groups that receive funding from like the National Endowment for Democracy and USAID to basically train people in how to use protest movements to overthrow governments America doesn't like. Um, and actually, Max Blumenthal, Dan Cohen wrote a really, really good investigative piece detailing, and I mean, in clinical detail from start to finish, who Guaido is and where he comes from and how the U.S., I mean, this is part of like a long strategy that's been taking place since 2005. I mean, the, and the U.S. has been trying to overthrow the government in Venezuela since even before that, since Chavez was elected uh, and became president in 1999. Uh, and for one reason only, it's because, you know, uh, um, and the U.S. wants to profit, the well, U.S. companies want to profit off of and control that oil and other resources in Venezuela. It's a research-rich country. And, you know, it, it elected a leader in the late 90s that uh, nationalized the oil and took the, you know, the national oil company and used those profits to fund social programs, right, instead of lining the pockets of elites. And that's a big no-no. You're right. not allowed to do that. Um and so this is like, I mean, we know that George W. Bush tried to do this in 2002 and failed, um, and the U.S. never stopped. And so one thing that I find interesting is um, there's all this like, oh, look at Venezuela, it's proof socialism doesn't work. And it's like, no, Venezuela's proof that like you can sabotage socialism from working. But even while the, you, had, you know, Venezuela had the most powerful country in the world trying to undermine and destabilize all its social programs for the last two decades, uh, the country still managed to um, decrease malnutrition by half. Like they halved malnutrition. Uh, they built hospitals in poor areas and like people for the first time. I mean, Venezuela has a huge population of poor people. That's how that country was for a long time. Um, and for the first time you had people had access to healthcare who never had access to healthcare. They had access to education and illiteracy went down dramatically. Um, there was many, many, many social gains in Venezuela, but of course you have a class of elites and oligarchs who, you know, don't like having, you know, some of their shit taken from them to be given to the poor. Um, and so that's what you see in like any Latin American country that's ever tried to enact any sort of socialist policies is the U.S. tries to undermine that by teaming up with the elites of that country. And that's what they've done in Venezuela. And they haven't been effective because Venezuela has this, um, has a lot of support for the Bolivarian revolution because so many people have... Uh, benefited from it and they have something to lose and so the point is is that you know what the u.s is doing right now isn't just trying to replace venezuela's government with a right-wing one that is um you know that is happy to comply with the u.s corporate interests but what they're actually trying to do because they can't actually necessarily get those people into power is they're trying to collapse the state which is even more dangerous because they'll cause a civil war because venezuela has you know, a huge, they have an army of loyalists that are happy to defend the government, and they will. And so if the U.S. starts arming and funding death squads, as I suspect they might, because Elliot Abrams, who's like Elliot, you know, death squad Abrams mm -hmm. from the 80s, has been appointed as uh, the envoy to Venezuela. If that's what the U.S. ends up doing, which it looks likely is going to happen, you're going to see a really, you're going to see a lot of bloodshed in Venezuela. And that brings me back to the members of Congress is like, that's what's on the line here. And so it's really shocking to me that I can count on one hand the number of both people in the House of Representatives and the Senate who have spoken out against U.S. meddling in Venezuela. And some of I mean, some of the statements haven't even been very good, but at least they're speaking out. Mm -hmm. Dick, uh, you know, Elliot Abrams as the envoy to Venezuela is kind of like Dick Cheney as the envoy to Standing Rock. It, it's just <laughs> in, incredible. But something that gets missed in all of this and, you know, Lee Camp and others pointed out with Syria, but it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. This is against international law. I mean, the United Nations has come out. I mean, I'll, I'll read you the quote. 
coercion, whether military or economic, must be ne- must never be used to seek a change in government in a sovereign state. The use of sanctions by outside powers to overthrow an elected government is in violation of all norms of international law. So how is the U.S. in one breath uh, talking about democracy and all this jazz? But, you know, whatever you want to say, maybe Maduro's government hasn't been perfect economically, that's for sure, but they can't have any economic recovery if there's illegal crippling sanctions. So it's kind of a, like you said, we're sabotaging any hopes they have economically. And that's the point is the point is to starve Venezuela and soften it up. I mean, this is like a part of an ongoing script we see happen over and over again. Um, You can go down the list of the sort of order. It's like an an orderly list of what the U.S. does in order to take out a government it doesn't like. Uh, You same same thing applied to Syria. Same thing applied to Libya. Same thing applied to Iraq. I mean, in the 90s, there were crippling sanctions on Iraq. And they were actually even more dangerous because it wasn't just the U.S. that was enforcing sanctions. It was actually the U.N. So you had like 500,000 children under the age of five in Iraq are estimated to have died because of these sanctions uh, in the 90s. Uh, And at that time, actually, you had two members, two senior officials of the U.N. resigned over the sanctions on Iraq. One of them even said they amounted to genocide. Um, And actually, you have a a kind of parallel taking place with Venezuela. You have a U.N. repertoire to Venezuela last year, and he wrote a report on how U.S. sanctions in Venezuela were actually killing Venezuelans, right? It was uh, limiting their access to food and to medicines, which is what sanctions do. I mean, when we talk about sanctions, they sound so um, neutral. They don't really sound violent. Sanctions doesn't make you think violence, but they're extremely violent in the way that the U.S. enforces them on other countries and cripples their economies. And this U.N. special rapporteur said no one in the U.N. was even interested in his report. Uh, They completely ignored it because people even in the U.N., when it comes to Venezuela, are more interested in opening Venezuela's economy to to capitalism and to uh, corporate profit uh, than they are in having a stable country that functions. Um, And so you have that parallel with the sanctions. And Venezuela has been under sanction for a long time, but then... You also have, um, you know, the same thing happened. There's also another aspect of this, which is on top of sanctions, the U.S. likes to do this thing where it sort of uh, helps fund and organize um, people in exile as like a sort of parallel government to the sovereign government that's recognized as like the legitimate government of the country. Um, In the case of Venezuela, the guy is actually inside of Venezuela, Juan Guaido, and they declared him president, right? And I've recognized him as president. They're trying to freeze the Venezuelan government's assets and actually give it to this guy. They actually did something really similar with Libya and with Syria, where they helped fund and form this opposition and exile government. And with Iraq, actually, uh, there was an episode that, you know, that's uh, what Ahmed Shalabi was in charge of. He was like the opposition government in exile that the U.S. recognized instead of Saddam Hussein. Uh, in Syria, you had them do it with like a, you know, opposition government in exile in, in is- based in Istanbul. Uh, and the same happened with Libya, uh, with all these people outside of the country that they recognize. And so they try and freeze the assets and then transfer them to these uh, opposition governments that they formed uh, to try to actually use them to like fund rebels and fund arms. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's like another part of the regime change script, right? Uh, and then, you know, you have, uh, which is what happened with Syria and Libya, and what I'm now really concerned is going to happen with Venezuela, is the actual arming and funding of an insurgency inside the country. And that's what's extremely, extremely dangerous, because that's how you cause a civil war. And that's how you collapse a state. And that's why today in Libya, there are people being sold as slaves 
because there's no functioning government and you have a bunch of different militias and gangs that are fighting and feuding with each other and profiting off of anything they can, including the selling of humans. Um, so, and in Syria, you know, uh, that worked in certain parts of the country. They collapsed the state and you had the rise of ISIS. You had the rise of Al-Qaeda groups. Um, and that was a disaster. And so now I'm really, I'm really concerned about what we're going to see happen in Venezuela. And, you know, I don't know how you feel about this, Jordan, but like I, I was really happy to see some of these new members of Congress um, who are part of this like sort of new progressive wave speak out really vocally, especially Ilhan Omar. She's been great mm -hmm. speaking out against this coup in Venezuela. But I've also been really disappointed because a few of those new members of Congress haven't said anything. And this, to me, is a moment that's comparable to the lead up to the Iraq war. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you're going to be a progressive, if you're going to call yourself a progressive member of Congress, you I mean, it's so easy to make a statement right now. It's not even under Democratic president. This is happening. It's happening under a Republican. It's happening under Trump. It's like so easy to oppose this. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand why some of them have still remained silent. Well, I'm going to keep it real. Might get me in trouble, but I don't care. I mean, Alexa <laughs> Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez hasn't said anything. That I, I think she retweeted someone, or Ro Khanna, yeah. she retweeted. But, I mean, right now, when she goes to the bathroom, it's national news. So you would think, uh, <laughs> you, would, you would think she, would, she would be strong against this. Frankly, I thought Bernie Sanders' statement, although he said he was against regime change, he kind of had to... It was wishy-washy. Yeah, it, it was, was like... I wasn't really sure what he was saying exactly. Yeah, and also with the statement that, you know, although Maduro's a dictator, this and that, well, whatever you think of Maduro, what's different than, of, what is so different from Maduro than Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman? Or Actually, you know what? I think a lot, because I'll okay. tell you this. You can say what you want about Maduro. You don't have to like the guy, but it's one of the biggest lies about Venezuela is that it's a dictatorship. I mean, you can say it about Syria. Syria is a dictatorship. You can say it about Libya. That was a dictatorship. But Venezuela, Venezuela has so many elections on both the local and national level. Maduro was elected last year in elections. Millions of people, 10 million people voted for the guy. Um, again, you don't have to like him. You don't have to say he's perfect. You can criticize all you want his policies. But it's from like all across the spectrum, or I should say the corporate media, has labeled it a dictatorship and labeled him a dictator is just so laughable and absurd to me. Um, I was just well, watching, like, Vice. Vice did a report from out of Caracas interviewing Juan Guaido. The guy's still in Caracas. Like, he is funded and has been recognized by an enemy government as the president of this country, right? They're trying to push for him to be the president to help collapse the state. Um, and he's walking around free, giving public speeches and interviews to international media that hates Maduro. Like, that's not the behavior of a dictatorship. Um well, well, I'll also, point, so I'll, I'll also point out to you, and ben, ben Norton pointed this out, but uh, Maduro agreed to move up the election by a year. So yeah. that's usually, you know, you think Trump's going to be like, yeah, we'll just do it this year since a, <laughs> lot, since a lot of people are unhappy. I mean, that's not a dictator. But I think the broader, I mean, I can't get in Bernie Sanders' mind, but the, uh, it seems to me that a lot of people in Washington, even though they're against the idea of regime change, they're very, they're very, very focused on the domestic side and don't want to dip their toe into other countries. But when you look, when you think of terrorism, what better recruitment for ISIS, Al Qaeda, uh, or other splinter groups than us continuing to go into other countries, whether it's Latin American, uh, Muslim, you name it. I mean, and what you were pointing out, these rebel groups, well, in Syria, uh, some of these rebel groups were Al Qaeda. 
so who the hell knows who we're emboldening in Latin America right now? Uh, the other thing is, you know, the United States is sitting here. Maduro's a dictator. Well, the United States has pretty much, with a wink and a nod, been totally fine with this literal fascist in Brazil. Uh, who mm-hmm. is, I think this Brazilian, Bolsonaro, was tweeting out emojis uh, um, mocking uh, the, uh, the, uh, a homosexual lawmaker that resigned in Brazil out of fear. Uh, and yeah. he was basically trolling this person. So we are fine with him. We are fine with Ben Salman, which, by the way, extends to Obama. But when we are not fine with the quote-unquote dictators sitting on top of oil. Of course. Of course, that's not doing, it's not dictating what we want them to. <laughs> right. And, you know, it's, a, it's good that you mentioned the sort of blowback, because when it comes to Latin America, part of the blowback, unlike the Middle East, where the blowback has come in the form of, like, uh, um, Islamic extremism and, like, Al-Qaeda and ISIS, the blowback in Latin America has, I don't know if you'd call it blowback, but it does impact American domestic politics. I understand lawmakers being more focused on domestic policy. That just makes sense. But for a lot of lawmakers, the issue of um, anti-immigrant sentiment is very important. The issue of refugees is very important. And I really wish that they could make the connection between U.S. policies in Latin America and refugees at the border. Because 2009, the U.S. participated in helping to, um, in helping to overthrow the government in Honduras. Um, Hillary Clinton really spearheaded that uh, from the U.S. side. Uh, there was a democratically elected leader who was like left of center and the U.S. and he was pushed out of power in a military coup that the U.S. immediately recognized. Uh, and Honduras has since uh, descended into chaos. Uh, you have a right wing government in Honduras that is authoritarian, that kills environmental activists and that dishes out so much violence on top of like the criminal gangs in Honduras that are allowed to like do their thing as they please to the point where it sent people fleeing from the country and back in 2014 at the height of the um at the peak of like you had unaccompanied uh, children coming across the border and being detained at the peak of all that uh i believe a third of those children were from honduras mm. um and no one ever and, and at the time i remember hillary clinton who had spearheaded that policy of regime change in honduras made some really crass comments about we need to send a message to their parents uh, to stop sending their children here. Uh, after she played such a massive role in destabilizing that country, it's why people are fleeing in the first place. But the point is, is that moments like that actually fuel the far right in the U.S. You know, Trump, part of one of his biggest issues he campaigned on was anti-immigrant sentiment, anti-refugee sentiment. Uh, and now, I mean, he's still doing it. He's talking about building a wall to keep people out. Well, people fleeing their homelands because of U.S. policy is what helps fuel that sentiment. And we need to make that connection, especially people like Bernie Sanders. Like that connection needs to be made. And so right now what we're seeing happen in Venezuela could precipitate a massive refugee crisis where you see another wave of people fleeing violence for the US and then you once again see it fuel the far right and just an higher domestic agenda of anybody who seeks to push you know, progressive or socialist policies in the US. Like we just like we just saw with this government shutdown over a wall. Right. I would I'd like to ask you, because obviously it's Trump, you know, increasing uh, the temperature here. But, you know, Obama used terms like the Troika of tyranny and, and a lot of, you know, Did it, really. Yeah. And in Syria, <laughs> uh, I don't know if there's Obama, but his administration. And, yeah. uh, you know, you have in Syria. I mean, it started under Obama. A lot of these things started under Democrats. And now you have uh, the Republicans continuing. So. 
then Democratic establishment people are, are all perplexed when progressives say, well, there's not that big of a difference. I mean, one party is Republican light, the other one's extreme batshit crazy. They're, they all worship at the altar of war, uh, the military industrial complex. The only difference is one is like, you know, cool with women doing what they want with their bodies and aren't for an outright, <laughs> outright ban. But from what I see, the Democrats are fairly complicit in what's going on in Venezuela. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Nancy Pelosi came out and recognized the, you know, the leader that Trump like pushed to do a coup in Venezuela, Mike Pence, I should say. Um, This is a complete bipartisan policy. And even before Trump was president, when Obama was in office, you saw, like I mentioned earlier, the U.S. has been um, helping to orchestrate and fund this extreme right opposition in Venezuela for over a decade now. And under Obama, you saw the these these uh, far right protesters start engaging in violent protests where they actually like lynched people. They lynched a few people for suspecting that they were Chavistas just because they had dark skin. Um, This was taking place. And of course, we don't know this because our media doesn't report on it. Our media whitewashes anything anti-Maduro as a good thing. Every protest and it just blames all the deaths on the government when actually there's a lot more going on here. But the point is, is that under Obama, that policy of destabilization was still ongoing. Trump is just, I mean, he just continued with it. And to be fair, I mean, yes, he did put John Bolton, I mean, John Bolton and Marco Rubio have really been in charge of the policy on Venezuela, especially Marco Rubio. So it may be a little more um, in your face than it might be under someone like Obama or maybe Clinton. Um, But at the same time, it's still the same policy. And it's something that all Democrats are supporting, except for, like I mentioned, literally five people I can list on my like on one hand. Um, Not to interrupt you, but John Bolton literally went on Fox News acknowledging that we're doing this for oil. And everybody to know we're, we're looking at all this very seriously. We don't want any American businesses or investors caught by surprise. They can see what President Trump did yesterday. We're following through on it. Uh, so if you think of a company like Citgo, which is owned by Pedavesa, which is the state-run oil company there in Venezuela, we have a lot of those Citgo assets right here in the U.S. Is that something, for example, sir, that you're looking at? Yeah, well, we're in conversation with major American companies now that are either in Venezuela or in the case of Citgo here in the United States. Uh, I think we're trying to get to the same end result here. You know, uh, Venezuela is one of the three countries I call the Troika of tyranny. It'll make a big difference to the United States economically if we could have American oil companies really invest in and, and produce the oil. Uh, capabilities in uh, Venezuela. It'd be good for the people of Venezuela. It'd be good for the people of the United States. We both have a lot at stake here, making this come out the right way. I mean, he's right. Talk- nothing, yeah. Nothing is something. Something that's and that, that's something interesting too. Is like that is something that you see under a Trump administration because they're really like in your face, open about what they're doing. You definitely wouldn't see that under Obama. He w- it would be much more about human rights and democracy. Um, we're now, yeah, John Bolt is just straight up like, we're there for the oil, right? you know, right. Uh, uh, we're here, we're there, we're coming for your oil. And also, uh, I want to get back to the, the human toll, because the sanctions we're doing in Venezuela are stopping medicine, food from coming in, our support for Saudi Arabia. I mean, there's ports being blocked uh, to get uh, critical uh, medicine, food, you name it, to Yemen. I mean, we're essentially through whether it's refueling Saudi Arabia planes midair to the the blockades I just talked about. And now this, I mean, what do you call that other than assisting genocide? I mean, it might not be that that route yet in in um, 
Venezuela, but we are assisting all that while crying about Russian trolls on the internet. Like the cognitive dissonance here, it seems like there's only like a small crowd of people who understand this and the rest are either intentionally blind or like you said from that Max, Max Blumenthal video, kind of not knowledgeable. Yeah, you know, I think that people are really, um, and, you know, I would say even people on the progressive left, like unfortunately, not everyone, but a good portion of people just are kind of pretending it's not happening, mm -hmm. what we're doing in Venezuela. Um, Yemen's but definitely been getting a lot more attention, especially since the death of Khashoggi. But uh, at the same time, you know, I think that people are deeply uncomfortable, even people who are progressives, with the idea of, well, the reality, which is like U.S. is kind of, the U.S. around the world behaves like a global dictator. Mm -hmm. um, it's a bully. The U.S. is a bully. It's an empire. We have over a thousand military bases in every corner of the globe. And that's how we project our power in really violent ways, whether it's economic violence or whether it's actual military violence. Um, and we, you know, topple governments. We destroy and collapse states. Um, and we bomb. I mean, we sell the most arms in the world. Uh, that makes people deeply uncomfortable. I, you know, it's, there is an, a huge military industrial complex. There is intelligence agencies involved in trolling. Like that's a thing that happens. Um, and reputational assault. There are think tanks that like, that like are connected to the state department that are connected to, um, you know, the CIA in some cases that really do participate in assaulting and smearing your credibility and reputation if you speak out on these issues. And you can just look at any, any person in a position of power who has spoken out. They are immediately bombarded with attacks from mainstream journalists who are basically like neocon mouthpieces, mm -hmm. um, who will immediately call them pro-dictator. Uh, and they are immediately just like overwhelmed with an insane level of hate on social media. A lot of which is coming from like accounts that I, I mean, maybe some of them are real, but I think some of them are really part of a troll farm. Right. Um, and so it really like disincentivizes people from speaking out on these issues right. because yes, you do get trolled and people do speak out against you for talking about raising the tax rate, which is a great policy and it should happen like a marginal tax rate, but it is nothing compared to the level of, um, of attack that comes your way when you speak out against U.S. regime change wars, because you are you are poking holes and challenging the biggest forces on the planet when you do that, especially if you're a person in a position of power. Well, which also, is why. Go ahead. I mean, also look at it. I mean, I mean Google has contracts with U.S. intelligence. Jeff right. Bezos, I just found out yesterday, I guess I was behind, is sitting on a board at the Pentagon. I mean, Amazon is getting a big fat contract with the Pentagon on top of their contract with the CIA. I mean, it's all just one, like, it's worse than the movie, than 1984, the book. You know, it's just like, it's one. And it's so much more sophisticated. Like, it's so much more, it's, it's so much more sophisticated. Um, and right now, I think we're experiencing something really dangerous because at a time when all of this sort of, um, information warfare, I guess, by like all these different forces is becoming uh, better and more sophisticated to be used against the, for, used even for domestic consumption in the US. Uh, you have a moment where because of Trump and because of the whole Russia investigation, all of these liberals and even progressives who would otherwise be maybe skeptical, historically skeptical of our intelligence agencies now revere them mm -hmm. um, because of Trump. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of, it just feels like a really dangerous Orwellian moment where like 
people have just kind of lost their minds. Well, and I there's also, no having, you can't have a rational conversation about any of this. I also think there's danger for you, for I, uh, because, I mean, I just saw, I, I, I don't know his name, but uh, there was somebody on Twitter, he posted a video of Kamala Harris basically giggling about going after m- mothers who were, you know, tr- truancy. Yeah. And his account got suspended. It's like if enough people <laughs> report you, you're suspended. I mean, why? For posting a video of a presidential candidate acting questionably in her policy? I mean, we're seeing, I mean, I don't agree with all of them, but we're seeing accounts uh, deplatformed on Patreon, mm-hmm. on, on YouTube, on all these uh, platforms. And you, I mean, I don't know how much you want to get into it. Your Wikipedia has been attacked uh, recently for questioning and by the way, your questioning and uh, my questioning and Jimmy Dore's questioning, I don't want to do a preemptive victory lap here, but <laughs> questioning on Russia is beginning to bear a little fruit because, I mean, this, they're running out of people to indict here, but I still don't see this master plan. Can you kind of talk about that? Like you were talking personally, you've been under some serious attack. Yeah, it was, it was, I did a video, you know, I work for, I do videos for In The Now, um, and I did a video on Venezuela that did pretty well, I mean, like, it didn't, it, you know, doesn't go as viral as perhaps, like, more mainstream stuff does, but for somebody questioning the, what is essentially a coup in Venezuela, it went pretty viral, and as soon as that happened, I just was bombarded with, like, an insane amount of hate, which I'm kind of used to getting for other issues I speak out on, but this came, but then it suddenly became an issue of, like, there was people trying to change my Wikipedia page. Have one is literally the first thing that shows up on Google if somebody Googles your name. And so they changed it so the first line said something insane, like, I mean, this isn't a direct quote, but it was like, Rania Kalik is a Lebanese-American journalist who's been described as as anti-Semitic and uh, pro-Kremlin and pro-Assad and, and just like every pro and anti you can think of that just makes somebody sound like a terrible human being. Well, I'm a, um, I, I'm a Jew and you're very nice to me, so. Well, thank you. Yeah, oh, yeah. shoot, I didn't know you were. <laughs> that changes everything. Yeah. <laughs> no, but the point is, I mean, the attacks were insane because it was like somebody would go in and edit it back and then someone else would come in and edit it back. Like there was a, con- a coordinated effort to try and smear my, like to try and uh, libel me in my Wikipedia page. That's the first thing you see when you enter my name. And that's like nothing compared to, I think, what, people in Congress get like uh, Ilhan Omar spoke out on Venezuela and she was like attacked viciously. Tulsi Gabbard is constantly being called all kinds of names. And again, you don't like, you don't have to love everything about these Congress people, but they're being attacked specifically for this reason. Like Tulsi Gabbard is constantly called, uh, you know, Assad's best friend in office, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and Putin's best friend because she was like pro peace in Syria um, and against arming, you know, jihadists. and then speaking out on Venezuela, she's now being called like they're just they call you pro dictator immediately. Um, and so, yeah, the, the level of hate, it's very coordinated. It's not just random or organic. It's very, very, very coordinated, especially when it's coming from like a cabal of mainstream media journalists who seem to always be, you know, available to jump on Twitter to like immediately smear anyone who has a certain opinion that they don't like on on foreign relations. Right. And I'd like to ask you, you know, the drip drip. Uh, on Russia, I mean, uh, I, I can't. I don't even want to get into Rachel Maddow's like hysterical, oh hysterical. Oh I was going to ask you if you're part of the secret global plot to uh, starting from Russia to you know take advantage of the polar vortex here and just shut well, down. We were, yeah, I was, but then they shut it. They shut that down as soon as Rachel Maddow exposed it. They uh, were like, "Oh fuck, abort, abort." I mean, it's Rachel Maddow's looking. She's making Glenn Beck back in his like red phone days on Fox News look pretty sane. But 
what, what I see, honestly, is every indictment that comes out, um, you know, a lot of these people committed crimes for various reasons, but I don't see this conspiracy because when I was on the campaign trail, the original charge here was that the Trump campaign knowingly worked with Russia to get those emails and, and give them to WikiLeaks. That was the original thing Hillary mm-hmm. Clinton's campaign manager said, and all of them were putting out there. And, and the goalpost has moved now to like, uh, well, Roger Stone might have tried to get early access to WikiLeaks. Uh, it just seems to me like you can in one breath say, all right, Trump had some sleazy people around him. They were trying to dig up dirt. Uh, I don't, you know, if WikiLeaks had already made it public that they had stuff on Clinton, so they were trying to get it. But it seems to me that, I mean, it's really a, a huge letdown. Uh, unless Mueller has some smoking gun that he's been holding. But at that point, you would think if he has something that's so damaging, you would think he would have released it by now. Uh, mm-hmm. what, are, what are your thoughts on where we're at in, in this Russia gate? Well, it's been like more than two years. Has it been more than two years yeah. or has it been exactly two years? It's been like two years of nonstop, like it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And it's always nothing. Um, every, and then like every time the media like freaks out and gets really excited, it's immediately debunked. I personally don't, I, I like, my eyes glaze over when, I can't even follow it at this point. Like the, the, the different theories about Russia and Trump collusion, like they become so far-fetched involving so many different names. And like this person spoke to this person maybe on the phone at this time. And date, oh wait, it didn't happen. That like I have a I really do have a hard time following it. I imagine a lot of Americans do. Like, and it just like it just seems like this weird, boring reality TV show uh, where nothing ever actually happens. Like people like Aaron Mate, Aaron Mate follows it so closely. I don't know how he's able to. I'm beginning he, I'm he, beginning to worry for his mental health. I told you. I know, him. I know. But he really does like he's a, he's kind of like one of my go to like I kind of I'm like, I have no fucking clue what's going on. I'm sorry, I don't know if I can I curse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I like, have like I have no fucking clue what's going on right now. I just go look at what Aaron Monte is saying. Um, and it's usually it's all it's always right. And um I really do like I don't know how these people monitor the the Russia Gate story because it's changed, like you said, so much that it's just like impossible, impossible for to follow and people, average Americans don't care. Right. Because it's like people like life is hard. People can't, you know, people are just like trying to pay their bills and not go bankrupt and like trying to pay their student debt. And like no one has time to sit down all day, you know, following uh, the new theories about Russiagate. And I, in the end, like, I feel like it's such a waste of time um, because Trump is a really corrupt individual. And it seems like there's so many other avenues to actually like find ways to attack him Um I don't know, maybe I don't know if to impeach him, but to definitely to like to attack him that like the focus on Russia just seems like a waste of time. When I'm like, again, like I said, my eyes just glaze over like I can't even follow the theories anymore. I just feel like everyone's gone insane. Yeah. Last question uh, domestically. You know, it seems to me, I mean, Cory Booker just announced today. So now we have that darling of Wall Street who's pretending to be progressive. But it seems to me, I mean. Uh, the media is really, really coming together for, for one Kamala Harris. I mean, CNN mm-hmm. had a love fest for her, uh, which was very adoring, left out some key questions like, why did you prosecute Steve Mnuchin? Um, it, it seems like there's, all, you know, a lot of the 
Hillary Clinton wing kind of coming together for her now. They weren't for Medicare for All when Bernie was proposing it, but they suddenly like Kamala Harris, maybe because they know she's not serious about it. Well, she's already kind of walking it back, too. Right, exactly. But anyways, continue, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to know what you think, because to me, I mean, it's sacrosanct. As a journalist, you can't even say anything about Kamala Harris. You're racist, you're sexist, and all that. But it seems to me that um, they are saying this two two years. She's in the Senate for two years, which is fine. Uh, she hasn't done much in the Senate, but that's fine. But she she should be president because she speaks well and she's all about inclusiveness. And let's not look at her calling Wall Street. Let's not look at her taking a lot of money from Wall Street. Let's, let's not look at her moonwalking in 24 hours from like mm-hmm. Medicare for all. That's it. Uh, it seems like they're manu- to, to, to borrow from Chomsky. It seems like they're manufacturing consent for Kamala Harris. Totally. Um, and I mean, even Hillary Clinton seems to have got, gotten behind her. A lot of Clinton's people are involved in her campaign. And I think you're seeing what the DNC did last time, which is they're trying to anoint someone. I think they're going to have a much more difficult time uh, than they did in 2016 because Bernie Sanders is a, is a force to be reckoned with. I mean, he's not some obscure politician anymore. He's a household name. He has name recognition. Uh, the people he struggled with in 2016 uh, because they just didn't know who he was, are people that he does well with now, like black and Latinos, like black people and Latinos, uh, like Bernie Sanders now. He has really high approval ratings from them. Um, I, I don't I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk for whoever the DNC anoints. And if anything, I'm really happy that Cory Booker made his announcement for his candidacy. I think that the more establishment candidates they try to run, the more it'll split the vote for those guys. Mm. Um that's that's how I mean, maybe I'm wrong to think that, but I do believe like because Cory Booker and Kamala Harris are pretty much cutouts of each other in many ways in terms of the policies that they endorse. Um, they have a lot of the same fan base, which is like uh, hedge fund managers. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so um, and also the people who want to vote for Kamala Harris or Cory Booker are pretty much like it'll split the Hillary Clinton wing of the party. Right. Um, and I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I'm really, really excited and interested to see how things are going to go for this next election. What I'm worried about, though, is we were speaking about Russiagate earlier. Um, I think a lot of progressive politicians, including Bernie Sanders, unfortunately, have played into that narrative of, uh, you know, the Russiagate narrative. And I think what you're going to see happen is you're going to see all of that apparatus that's been pushing Russiagate turn on Bernie Sanders, much the same way it's turned on Jeremy Corbyn in the UK, uh, where they try and connect, say that Jeremy Corbyn is like a Putin plant. They've already tried, started trying to say that about uh, Bernie Sanders in the most absurd ways. But you have a population in the US that's now been conditioned to see Russia as the boogeyman behind everything bad. I don't know how well that will work, but it's gonna be unfortunate to see that used against Bernie Sanders when he's actually kind of endorsed that narrative against other people. Uh, and I hope it doesn't work, but We'll see what happens, but I really think that's going to be their go-to way to attack Bernie Sanders is like, oh, he was in the Soviet Union in 1988 uh, singing This Land is Your Land, (laughs) and that's when they recruited him into the KGB, and that's when he decided to run for president twice. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I hope that sounds so absurd. I hope it doesn't work, but who knows? Right. But as for, I mean, as for, you know, the, I think that it's definitely a different time than 2016. Bernie Sanders has a huge and energized base. I want him to, I really hope he announces soon. I'm still like, I'm still like rah, rah, Bernie. I mean, he's not, not all his policies are my favorite, but as far as domestic policy is concerned, like, I don't think there's any other way to go. Yeah. And I lied. One more question. Uh, oh, do- go for it. Domest- uh, 
I'm always curious, like you're not you uh, not based in the U.S. Uh, are, are people looking at the U.S. now like even worse than they used to look? Because when I was in Germany two years ago, people were just like, oh, my God, you guys not not just because of Trump, just because like, I mean, like we don't have we don't have health care. You're, you're, like, shooting, you're, shoot, you're shooting each other up every day and you have no health care. And now the border, you know, now separating children at the border. Like, I'm curious what people uh, you come across think of America. So I'm in the, obviously I'm in a different part of the world. Um, I'm in the, I'm in like the Middle East, which which views America differently than perhaps Europe does. Mm-hmm. Um, I think European countries, like you said, like if you're in Germany, that's kind of the thing you get is like you guys are shooting each other up and there's refugees at the border. Uh, people in places like the Middle East, I think, are a little bit more like. Um, I mean, obviously not everyone has the same opinion, but they're a little bit. They're they're kind of they're they're shocked when they hear there's shootings in the U.S. They're like, why that that doesn't even happen here? Like, there's not mass shootings in the Middle East. How is there mass shootings there? But for them, it's more like, what's the U.S. going to do to us? Mm, yeah. You know what I mean? Which is something that Europe doesn't have to really worry about so much unless you're like in Greece or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, and for a lot of people in the Middle East, especially like more progressive minded people, they, they're kind of like, well, Trump has kind of been good for us because he just kind of states things openly, unlike other Democratic presidents might, um, who are much smoother talkers. Um, and he's not very good at intervening. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't do a very good job. He ends up failing. And also right now is a moment where the U.S. is actually pulling out of the Middle East, or, or at least Trump is trying to. Um, they definitely have pulled back. Like in Syria, they've already started to pull back. Um, they're talking about pulling back in Afghanistan. So, I mean, people aren't, it depends which country you're in, but like people, um, people are kind of just like, Trump's the same for us, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, hasn't made much of a difference. Doesn't matter if there's, like, a Republican or president in office for people in the Middle East. Uh, people in Iran, on the other hand, I think Trump's been really awful for them. So I guess it also matters which country you're talking to. Yeah. Um, but they definitely do look at the U.S. and and they're just like, I have, I've had people ask me before, like, why do your police shoot people? <laughs> like, like, I actually have had more, more, that's happened on more than one occasion where people are just like, why do your cops do that? Like, they don't even do that here. Right. Um, and why do people like kill each other? Why does, why are there mass shootings in your country? That's always weirded people out. But like the refugee crisis in the U.S. or like the, what, the issue at the border, that doesn't really surprise anyone in the Middle East because the U.S. hasn't exactly been a a pleasant force in this part of the world. So the whole, so like, so our whole spreading democracy thing that didn't, <laughs> didn't work out. Got it. Yeah, no, not, not really. Not really. No, I mean, or, no, not at all. Not even a little bit. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I love your videos, by the way, if I wasn't Thank such, you. if I wasn't so naturally long winded, I wish I could do those cool <laughs> snappy viral videos. So uh, we'll be in touch soon. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Jordan. Take care.